The Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 74. The biggest thing is that sometimes we allow fear to formulate speed bumps or walls that aren't really there. Um, sometimes we, we think that we can't do fill-in-the-blank dream because we have all these other variables that are keeping us back. But have you ever tried? Hey, this is Z-Dog MD, rapper, physician, legendary turntable health revolutionary, and part-time gardener. And you're listening to the Medical School HQ Podcast, hosted by the irredeemably awesome Ryan Gray. Welcome back. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray. And I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. I do want to mention that the Princeton Review is back this week with more support for you, our listener. For the month of April, when you use the code MSHQ4, you will save $225 off of the Princeton Review's MCAT Ultimate Classroom or MCAT Ultimate Live Online course. Again, use the promo code MSHQ at checkout and save $225. Go to PrincetonReview.com. Thank you, Princeton Review, for your continued support of the Medical School HQ podcast. I also wanted to talk about the Academy at the Medical School Headquarters, an online membership site to help you through the pre-med and medical school process. We have live monthly video question and answer sessions, monthly live webinars covering everything from the MCAT to financial aid, and exclusive interviews with deans and other physicians talking about their specialties. Start investing in your future now and join the Academy. Listen to what Melissa, one of our newest members, had to say. This is such a wonderful thing you you guys have put together. I mean, I can see even just in the design and, and what you're adding, just how much effort has gone into it. And I, I think it's beautiful. And I mean, as we were doing this, I, I kind of could imagine myself a few few years down the road being a part of it and, and helping people who are kind of going through what I'm going through now and vice versa. So I'm this is awesome. Come experience what the Academy has to offer for you. Go join the Academy at jointheacademy.net and find out more. In today's interview, I talked to Carrie. She is finishing her first year at East Tennessee State University Quillen College of Medicine. Carrie is going to talk about her non-traditional path into medicine, including why she didn't go into medical school right away. She's going to share with us how surrounding herself with like-minded individuals at a website called Old Pre-Meds gave her confidence that she could do it if others like her were doing it as well. She's also going to share what first year of medical school has been like for her and how having a why, a reason why she's doing all of this, has helped her push through tougher times. Carrie, thanks for joining us today. Can you talk a little bit about how the first year of medical school is going for you? First year of medical school was everything everyone said it would be. Um, The analogy of 
literally drinking from a fire hose where, you know, the people who go before us always say it's not that the content is that much harder, it's just the volume. And I think that could, a truer statement has never been spoken. Um, it's been, it's been amazing. I feel like every day has been a gift in some way, shape or form, but it's also been the most challenging time of my life, but it should be. You know, I feel like um, we don't go through all of this for it to be easy. And uh, the the hard-earned battles and and all of the exam after exam, uh, you know, sweating bullets and getting through it and feeling victorious and sometimes not so victorious, but there's there's a lesson in all of it. And it's been everything I'd hoped it would be and then some. So you talked about how you kind of heard from others what it was like. Did that prepare you for starting on that first day or did was knowing that just kind of on the side and you just had to experience it all yourself? Sure. You know, I think it helped. Um, anything that we can, any wisdom we can glean from people who have been through this experience is helpful. Um, of course, everybody's mileage will vary. Everyone's school is different. Everyone's class community is different. But knowing what I was getting into coming in from the gate may did kind of give me a foundation. It gave me a sense of peace. So when the volume hit, uh, you know, I wasn't as afraid, you know, when I had 200 pages the first week, I didn't, I didn't have a freak out moment. I said, okay, this is, this is what everybody said it would be. And so I, I was very grateful, I think for the wisdom of the community of people that I had around me, especially in the, the OPM community, because there are people who are juggling not just medical school, they're also juggling spouses with careers and children like I was. So it was it was definitely good to kind of have those people speak in and say, yes, it's tough. Here's what you're going to expect. And you can do it. Just kind of keep your head down and keep going. And and if you're listening to this and wonder what OPM is, it's old pre-meds, which we'll talk about a yes, little bit more. <laughs> so Carrie, tell us, tell us what was the hardest part about first year? Well, for me, I'm running a very different race than most of my classmates. For me, the hardest part was logistics. Um, We chose this first year, weaving my family, my husband, and our three daughters, chose to try to do a commuting type thing where I kind of crash over where school is, and which is four hours away from where my home is, and then kind of drive on the weekends or midway through the week, however my schedule allowed. And it became a logistical nightmare. It was, uh, my husband does deployments. He's a, a contracted pilot with the Army. So we had family stepping in, helping us out when he got deployed early. Um, there's one thing after another. And, and if it can happen, it will happen. And you still have to go to class. You still have to show up. It's a job. Or I viewed it as such. So it wasn't necessarily the content of the exams or getting stuff done as much as it was doing all that in the scope of every other variable in my life, if that makes sense. Yeah. And how did you how did you handle all of that? It, being a non-traditional student, being a mom, having a husband who may or may not be there. Uh, right. Everybody faces their own challenges, but what what got you through all, all those times, all those rough moments? It, literally one step at a time. Not even sometimes one day at a time, it's one hour at a time. You have to be extremely conscientious about your minutes and uh, be highly organized, which it, admittedly I was not prior to this experience. So a lot of good lessons in time management, but really leaning hard on my classmates who were just always there and supportive and ready to help when it came time to study. Knowing how to ask for help is a huge deal. And I think people who go into 
medicine are we're very strong-minded, we're very strong-willed, and it's kind of hard sometimes to hold up our hands and go, I have no clue what you're talking about, or I missed this, can somebody help me? And I thought that's a hard thing to learn. So I've definitely kind of figured that out this year, that it's okay, and it's it's a good thing, actually, to hold your hand up and ask for help from, from classmates. We have a great system at my school where a lot of our lectures are podcasts, so I found it to be a better use of my time to actually not go to class sometimes. Of course, every class is different. But to, to kind of use that time to go through lectures um, on podcasts and kind of speed it up or slow it down however I needed to and review differently. But it's had to be very, very conscientious of each moment and plan it out in blocks and then not get distracted. Wow. Now, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the podcasts and, and recorded lectures. Did you know about all of that going into the school? And, di- and did you look for schools that would be flexible with maybe what your schedule was going to be like? I, I honestly didn't. I feel like I'd stepped into a really big pot of luck, honestly. we It's something that, that classes are doing in my program more and more. Um, you know, of course, anatomy, you kind of got to show up, you know, and that's that's the first 11 weeks in, of my program is just anatomy. So so for that part, and I think that's important anyway in the beginning because your class, you're, you're gelling together, you're figuring each other out. There's a dynamic that's being built. So that class was recorded, but you know, we still obviously went. But then as we got into kind of more of the, of the other hard sciences, it, it's all literally available within 30 minutes of the class. Um, um, online. So I, I felt like that was an extremely important thing. And had I known that was even available, I certainly would have been asking about it in my interview. Yeah, that's awesome. That sounds great. Yeah. So, Carrie, you mentioned you are married and have three kids. Now, <laughs> you either started very early and are a traditional student or you're a non-traditional student that started med school a little bit later. Yeah, I, I, am, I am very non-traditional. I'm 36 years old. I have a 17-year-old daughter who's technically a stepdaughter. Um, she was the, I would say she's the best gift her daddy gave me when we got married. I have a 7-year-old first grader, and I have a 14-month-old, um, all girls. So I was waddling pregnant on the admissions trail, which was a unique experience in and of itself. Um, but we, So we have three beautiful daughters, and I had a, an amazing career on the corporate side of healthcare. I worked in hospital administration, was a a liaison between different accounting departments and legal departments and physician recruiters with uh, physicians that our hospital systems hired. So I was kind of submersed in the the corporate business side of what physicians do, but but never really got to do the other part of it. Um, but had a wonderful career prior to medical school, and then at thirty, I guess I was thirty three or thirty four is when I started my journey. Did you ever? consider going to medical school when you were younger or that you just stumbled upon that later? I did. Um, I actually have a, I think I'm one class shy of a minor in biology because I was very much interested in science in college. But what happened, um, as, as it does sometimes in life, I, I kind of fell into a job in college doing behavioral therapy with autistic children and just fell in love with everything that that entailed. And the more that I, the more that I worked, the more that I studied, the more I wanted to learn. And that took me down a path into behavioral psychology, which was my actual degree in undergrad. Um, by the time I got out of college, I already had a job and I didn't really have my 
aha epiphany, wow, I really should be a doctor until about three weeks before I graduated from college. And at that point, you know, everybody's got their own personal story. I I have mine. Um, Just had an instance with my brother who had brain cancer and had a conversation, about a two hour conversation with his surgeon one night in ICU. That was kind of a light bulb moment for me. And, but I already had things kind of lined up. You know, I think you tell yourself that life is linear and you're not supposed to go backwards. I was three weeks from graduating college. So uh, while I thought, you know, wow, I think I would really enjoy being submerged in this for the rest of my life, that ship's kind of failed, or so I thought. Um, so I, I went into to career in counseling, um, eventually got into a career in in business doing something else, and just kind of one thing led to another, and then I've I spent 10 years in healthcare administration. So life just kind of happened, um, but that nagging voice was always there for science and for medicine. And I have an amazing husband who did a career change in his, I think he was 29 or 30. He kind of left everything to become a pilot. And we saw how amazing that can be for you as a person, as a father, as a husband, just how it changes you when you get to get up every day and do something that doesn't feel like work. And it's something that you're passionate about. And when he had kind of built up his business and earned every certificate that he could and was making a, a decent living at it, he looked at me and he said, okay, it's your turn. What, what is it? If time and money were absolutely not, you know, a factor, what would you want to do? Like, what is it that makes your heart beat? And I knew immediately it was a nagging voice and it got really loud. And I said, well, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I've always wanted to be a physician. And he said, well, what's stopping you? I dare you. Let's, let's figure out what that would even look like. What does that process look like? What would you have to do to get into medical school? You know, just start, start researching. Find out what the steps are, and we'll see if we can take them. And here I am, <laughs> one year into med school. And it, it's like I literally blinked from, from that moment to now. That's awesome. Yeah. You, <clears throat> you mentioned something about when when he asked you that that nagging voice kind of came mm-hmm. up louder what what was it or what is it about medicine that that kept that nagging voice in the back of your head well everybody who goes into medicine will say i want to be a physician because i want to help people and that certainly needs to be there but honestly you can be a teacher you can be a firefighter you can be a policeman you can you can help someone in any job that you do. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, so, so there has to be something else. And I think for me, it's, it's the just submersion into something that I don't fully understand and being able to just pursue knowledge every minute and, and to be on the forefront of kind of um, both technology and that, that just aspect of we're figuring things out and we're solving puzzles but also bringing in, so there's kind of that intellectual side of it, I think, but also the very kind of compassionate heart side of literally being able to walk with people in some of their deepest, um, deepest pain in some of, you know, maybe the, the most frustrating, most scary moment of their lives to be that person that gets to be there with them and help facilitate them through that process. Um, it, it just kind of makes my heart go a little bit faster. And I thought, you know, that's it. Um, there really isn't anything else that I can think of that combines my my nerdy science side and my just drive to learn stuff and solve problems 
with with my proverbial heart, which is to just kind of be love to people. Yeah, that's a, I I like that answer. That's a great answer. And it, <laughs> Thank it, you. And it's perfect because it's all three. Now, you, I think you said it exactly. And and I've told people this: the the, the I want to help people. You can. Right. Y- you said it exactly. You can be a teacher, a firefighter. You can be a bank teller. You could be a, a mm-hmm. customer service person on a telephone uh, to to help people. Um, the the whole lifelong learning and pursuing knowledge aspect you mentioned. You can do that in any field as well. Uh, if, mm-hmm. you, if you had just two of the three, if you liked helping people and you liked uh, pursuing knowledge with science, maybe you would be a researcher and sitting in a lab somewhere. But it, mm-hmm. it's that third piece that you mentioned that I think combines it all and, and makes your, uh, what I call the, the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Right. When, when you have a why, everything is so much easier because you're sitting there in, the, in, your, in your little cubicle studying 24 hours a day, <laughs> preparing for three tests in one week, that having that why in the back of your head continues to motivate you and, and makes everything worthwhile. So that's... That's good that you have that, and I hope everybody listening has a why as well. You have to know what it is. Otherwise, first of all, because everyone will ask you, um, but second of all, it, you don't go through this process. You don't sacrifice all that is asked of you to sacrifice and ask those around you to sacrifice, you know, your family and your friends. You don't do all of this without a good why, you know, and if and if you do, I, I kind of want want to get you checked out. <laughs> um, it's, it's a huge deal, you know, and it, and it should be. Um, it should be difficult, but, but, if, but you're right. The why drives all of it, and it makes it all worth it. And I love, my program does a really good job of getting us out of the classroom, even in first year, to remind us of why we're there. Um, and that's really important, too, not only that you have your why before med school, but that you continue to be reminded of what that is, so that when your head's down and you're in the middle of learning one more time, the you know intricate minutia of the Krebs cycle. Going, <laughs> why am I learning this? Um, you have something to keep you going. I'm so glad you used the Krebs cycle as an example. <laughs> the most useless thing ever. Anyway, I have a, my dearest friend, my study partner. She wants to go into emergency medicine, and she says there has never been anybody who has come into the emergency department with complaints of anything related to the Krebs cycle. <laughs> we just, you have to laugh about it, but yeah. it's can... a hoop to jump through. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so the next part of the question, your your husband said, okay, now it's your turn. Let's figure yeah. this out. Mm-hmm. How, as somebody living in the corporate world, did mm-hmm. you start to figure that out? Where did you turn to for answers to go, okay, I am this 30-something-year-old corporate person. How do I right. go back to school and get into medical school as soon as possible? Well, I started where all the answers are with Google. And I went and I said, okay, let me think of terms that describe me, non-traditional, um, pre-med, and I started to kind of look up and research what the path looks like. I knew there would obviously be hoops to jump through before I could fill out an application, you know, whatever even that looked like. So I started to research, looked at different medical schools that I knew I would be interested in and kind of figured out what their admissions criteria were, made a lot of lists and uh, eventually assembled on, we, we've kind of alluded to it before, onto an online community called OPM, which is Old Pre-Meds, um, and got a lot of wisdom from, from that forum because there are people 
like me who are um, at various stages of the journey and were able to kind of give me some really good wisdom, good advice. Um, I could ask questions and not feel judged or not feel like I was crazy for asking them. And so that, that was really, really helpful along the way. Um, for me, once I kind of put together a preliminary plan, I knew that I needed to take some basic science classes, even though I'd had them in college. It had been a while uh, to refresh for the MCAT, and I had not had college physics. So I decided to kind of go back and, and start that process. And for me, I had to integrate all of that into a full-time career as well. So I had to find classes that were offered at night within a reasonable driving distance of where I worked. And I was kind of footing the bill for all of it, so it couldn't be too expensive. So that led me to um, to take my courses. And this is kind of a hot topic of debate, whether you should or shouldn't. It really just depends on your program. But I took all of mine at a community college. Um, and, well, I say all of them. I guess my last two, organic and physics, I took at a state university. But it just kind of was what worked for me. It's what I needed to do. So when I got my plan together, that that's kind of what I wanted to do, I called the dean of admissions at all the schools I was interested in. And I said, this is who I am. This is what I'm interested in. Uh, this is kind of my plan before I get to you. And since I'm interested in your school, I want to make sure that you will bless this plan. So I specifically mentioned the community colleges that I was going to be taking my courses at um, and kind of went over my timeline and what I was expecting to do and kind of everything that I was involved in as far as volunteer organizations and things like that and kind of got their buy-in. Um, for my plan and, and was kind of assured by them that it wouldn't hinder me in any way and that it was a good it was a good solid plan. <laughs> so I think the uh, the dean of, of one of the two schools I ended up kind of having to decide between literally said, you know, go get it done. We'll see you in two years. So that was my starting point. That I don't think any students that I've talked to <laughs> would have number one the guts to call up and talk to a dean of admissions, but number two, the the wherewithal to call. Where where did you get that idea? <laughs> and and I, did you get any pushback from the dean saying I can't talk to you about this? Not at all. Not at all. They were very very friendly. For me, I had a short list. I knew my family and my roots are in Middle Tennessee, so I drew kind of a a circle on a map and kind of whatever net you know, whatever schools were captured by that net. I think I ended up with four or five uh, universities that I would be interested in. So not too much work to do there. Um, but everyone was incredibly friendly. Um, I just reached out to them on a professional level, the way that I would reach out to any hospital CEO or attorney that I worked with. Um, I think a few of them, I sent a, an email initially. Um, you know, there's always... On every med school website, there's, hey, if you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us, um, there's an email. So send an email and say, I'd love to set up a time to speak with you. I understand that you are incredibly busy and your time is very valuable. Um, if I could spare a few moments of it, I just have a couple of questions as I begin my journey. And everyone was incredibly receptive to that. And I tried to be um, very respectful of their time and be as concise as possible. I had all my questions written out so that I wouldn't ramble, as I am prone to do. And I uh, just, you know, met them on a professional level, which I have the experience for. And, uh, you know, when they said, hey, keep in touch, let me know how you're doing, follow up with me, I contacted them every four to six months and said, hey, I just completed this class. I'm 
you know, one step closer to on the plan that we talked about, and next semester I'm taking X, Y, and Z, um, just to kind of keep that relationship going. So when I got to them and got to finally meet them on admissions interviews, it was kind of like meeting an old, not, not an old friend, obviously, but a, but a but a peer, and and it was a really kind of neat moment for both of us, um, particularly at the two schools I was accepted to, because we were able to say, "Wow, you know, remember when we had our first conversation?" And both deans said, "You know, it's funny. I get calls like that, but I rarely ever get to actually meet the people because they don't follow through." And so to have you standing in front of me is kind of a rare and really cool thing. That's awesome. I think I think I might <laughs> I might steal that intro email and uh, put it out there for people to use. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And and this is I I always go back to the fact that non traditional students have this advantage over traditional students. The fact yes. that you were a professional and had that experience interacting with other professionals that mm-hmm. gave you a leg up over a traditional student who's a a sophomore or a junior in college that's never really interacted one-on-one with another professional that, that it's just, it's awesome as a non-traditional student to get out there and work in the real world and get that experience. It just gives, Mm -hmm. I I think non-traditional students have a leg up over all traditional students, period. Well, I, you know, of course I have to agree with you (laughs) being one, but, but I absolutely, but I really do. I I don't want to be trite about that. I think, um, I've heard so many people in, you know, in my age bracket say, gosh, I just, I just think I'm, I'm fighting a losing battle. And I, I just shake my head and I'm like, you, you have no idea how fortunate you are because you don't necessarily have to be better than everyone applying. You have to be different. You know, most of the people by the time, especially by the time you get to the interview process, uh, most of the people are qualified. And, you know, if you're reading 2000, applications in 2000 manila folders, um, you can imagine what a tedious process that would be. And so if somebody stands out because they're completely outside the box of what someone is used to looking at, they're going to be memorable. And at the very least, they're going to want to talk to you. Um, and, and I think it's, it should definitely be something that we use to our advantage that we highlight in our, you know, we shouldn't try to hide that by any stretch because it's what sets you apart. And you do acquire a skill set just by being out in the work world by giving and taking feedback from a superior, by being managed by someone, by managing others, by, you know, being a leader in what you do. It's everything that, that I did in my work life prior to med school is going to make me a successful physician. I like it. <laughs> the let, Let's talk about the old pre-meds community for a little bit. Yay. <laughs> yeah, your 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 home away from home. Now the old premeds. The I I I thank the old premeds community when I first started online with the Medical School HQ podcast. The old premeds community was the first one that kind of took me in and said, "Hey, we like what you're doing. Let's let's mm-hmm. have fun and hang out." And and Rich, the the founder of old premeds or or the current uh, person that runs old premeds now invited me to speak at the old premeds conference in 2013 which is where i met you and yes. and heard your journey and said i need to have you on the podcast now it's <laughs> it's been a year since i got you on the podcast but talk about and you talked about it a little bit but talk about what that community and going to the conference and being able to hang out with everybody 
who was like you, what does that do for you? Well, it's just a confidence builder. I mean, you you can get lots of answers about med school, but in general, the answers you're going to find are from people who are sophomores, juniors, and seniors in college um, who are in their early 20s. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of it's going to be truth no matter where you're at in your in your journey. But there are variables that we have as non-traditional pre-med and med students that just aren't even in the sphere of thought for some of those students. Um, you know, when you start to talk about finances, when you start to talk about scheduling, when you start to talk about, um, you know, child care, my goodness, if I have an exam and one of my children has a fever, you know, what do I do? That's not something that I can go to my 22-year-old classmate and find out. And so for me, um, uh, uh, just a plethora of advice and wisdom, certainly, but just being able to look eye to eye with people who have gone before me and with people who are at the same place in my journey and to have them say, Carrie, you're not crazy. Carrie, this is possible. And Carrie, you can do this. Um, to have that foundation of people around you to support you and walk with you uh, means more than you can know. And also to meet people who are just a little bit behind you in the journey so that you can kind of return the favor and, and pay that forward to them and turn around and say, hey, person I just met that may be just kind of fishing and figuring out what this is all about. It is possible because, look, I'm, I'm doing this, and, you know, people in the world think I'm crazy. But guess what? I am with a lot of other people who are crazy, and we're all, you know, in the current of, of what it is we're called to do. And it's an amazing journey. And, you know, we're proof positive that it can be done. And so for me, conference is about, it's about learning, um, for sure. And you, you know, you have great speakers, you have uh, lots of good workshop opportunities. Um, and, and certainly that is helpful and it's, it's all good stuff. Um, but when you're just not sure if you want to pull the trigger, when you're, when you're worried about whether or not anybody's going to be there to help you, um, what means more to me than anything is having that support of people around you. I like it. <laughs> there's um there there's an awesome quote that I've I think I've said a couple times on the podcast, and it's it's uh, an author named Jim Rohn who says you are the average of the five people that you surround yourself with, mm, and that's, that's and that's what I think conferences are all about surrounding with surrounding yourself with the people who you want to be like who you aspire yeah. to be like. And and getting that information, that knowledge, that motivation, that drive to to be like them, um, I, I think that's the perfect example of it. Yeah, it, it absolutely is because you know in in the rest of my life and every other sphere of anything I have my hands in, when I try to explain what it is that I'm doing, and especially in the three years leading up to med school, nobody understood. And why would they? You know, it's it's just a weird, sticky. Uh, sometimes not fun, sometimes incredible journey, but it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. But in the OPM community, it always made sense. I want to talk about that for a minute before we talk about what your future holds. <laughs> being a non-traditional student, having three children now, being pregnant on the interview trail, did you, yeah. ha did you have people that said you were crazy? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, how could, you know, I, I found out that we were pregnant with our third daughter two days before I submitted my AMCAS application. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and my knee-jerk reaction, honestly, was just to wait a year. Um, I thought, you know, I, I, this is crazy. It's too much. I can't do it. But I talked to one of my mentors who has kind of walked with me through this. Um, it's a, a hematologist, oncologist, and his wife, who is a nurse practitioner in his office. And I, I you know, talked with them, and I, I really value their opinion, talked with my husband. And they said, you know what, just stay the course, because you don't have to start school tomorrow. And you're going to feel a lot differently about this as you go through the process. So my, our daughter was born in February. I started school in August. And they said, just, you know, you always have the option to say no, but not if you don't go through the process. If you don't go through the process, it's automatically a no. So give yourself as many choices as you can. And so I, I kind of got the confidence to keep going, um, went through my interviews, got my acceptances, which I'm not sure I really even believed would happen, and found myself starting med school. But I, I got a lot of pushback um, from, from some family and mostly not, not from friends, but kind of people who I call the, the rubbernecking, you know, people in your life who kind of are on the outside periphery, don't really understand what it is that you're doing. Um, just looked at me and shook their heads and thought, what in the world? You have a baby, you know, you have a first grader, you have, what are you doing? <laughs> but I think, you know, everybody's race is different and you can't understand something unless you're part of it. And for us, we, you know, we kind of take it, a semester at a time, a year at a time, and, and our family comes first, and we evaluate that, you know, constantly. And if we see any fractures or any cracks, you know, we definitely are looking to repair them as quickly as possible and make sure that we come out stronger on the other side. But that is an ongoing process. That is continuous communication. That's open minds at all times. That no question is off limits. And you just really have to work together as a team, as a family, to get through this because it's not just me going to school. We always say, you know, we're going to medical school, all of us. We just have different roles. My role is to show up and take tests, but my family's role is important too. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> so, Carrie, you're done with your first year of medical school. What are you looking I'm forward to? Yep. <laughs> what are you looking forward to for next year? Next year is, is exciting to me because my, my program is still fairly traditional in that our first year is very much normal, and then second year we get into pathology. So for me, the further I get into my curriculum, curriculum, the more and more uh, clinically relevant things become. So I'm very excited about that. Um, we also get an opportunity in second year to do – this year we did one preceptor week where we got to work with a doctor for a week and kind of take histories and wear our white coats and feel really, you know, important or not. But this year, this next coming year, we do two or three of those, and then we have an ongoing longitudinal preceptorship that we get to do and just really kind of get out of the classroom more and feel like our hands are getting more into the practice of medicine instead of the study part of it. And so I'm really excited about that um, and just more and more um, relationships with different positions across different specialties because I'm still not exactly sure what I want to do. So kind of honing in on that and getting ready for step one, which is, you know, obviously the first part of the board exams for for my MD program. So definitely going to be intense there. Um, but I think the most exciting piece for me is that my family's moving over to, to where I go to school. So that's going to be very exciting. Um, but also has its own set of challenges because 
I will now have my children over there with me all the time, every day, and I'm going to have to kind of learn to study differently and work differently, but bring it on. It's just it's just another thing to learn and overcome and, and um, adapt to. It is. It is. And I, I we're very fortunate that the class ahead of me have several people who are who are parents. I have a couple of single moms who have young children. So I'm definitely um, getting all the wisdom that I can from them and, and kind of now that they've gone through the second year curriculum, you know, how did you do it? What would you do differently? So leaning on the community of people around me and learning to ask for help and trying to kind of formulate a plan and being willing to change that plan as often as it needs to be changed. Um, but, but it's exciting. I'm exciting, excited to just have survived first year and done really well and uh, moving on. Carrie, what advice would you recommend to us that we may be stuck in a career that we don't really like and we have that nagging voice in the back of our head like you had? What would you recommend to to us to to act on that voice and to start their journey? Wow, that is such an important question. I think the biggest thing is that sometimes we allow fear to formulate speed bumps or walls that aren't really there. Um, sometimes we we think that we can't do fill-in-the-blank dream because we have all these other variables that are keeping us back. But have you ever tried? Because it's amazing how when you push forward and make the leap anyway, those other variables that are still there, maybe, you know, the need for income, children, a spouse, you know, variables to juggle, they still work. You just have to find different ways of doing things. And I think my biggest thing that I would that I would impart uh, to people listening is don't be afraid. Don't let fear make your choices. Um, and, and the other thing is you don't have to, you know, start your first year of med school tomorrow. It's a process. So take a bite and see what happens. Take a step and see what happens. And just keep walking until something either makes you absolutely know that you need to turn around or until you are convinced that it either is or isn't what you thought it would be. But don't just stand still because of fear, um, because you'll always regret it. You'll look back in five years and go, wow, where could I be on my journey if I just taken a tiny step today? Wow, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Carrie really brought it with a ton of motivation and uh, inspiration to help push you through those tough times. If you want to find out what Carrie was talking about with the Old Premeds community, go to oldpremeds.org. They have their, as we're releasing this at the end of April 2014, their annual conference is coming up in June of 2014. It's held in the Washington, D.C. area uh, this year. I don't know if it's there every year. It was there last year, too. But it's in the Washington, D.C. area this year. If you're around that area, if you can swing traveling to that area, I highly recommend going to be around like-minded individuals. If you can't make it to the old pre-meds conference, find a pre-med conference in your area to go to. I know out in California, UC Davis puts on one of the biggest pre-med conferences every year. That would be a great experience for you to go to as well. It's surrounding yourself with those like-minded individuals that gives you the confidence that what you're doing is right for you and gives you the confidence that you can do it. 
So go to oldpremeds.org to find out more about the conference and the community over there. How did you like the interview today? I'd love to hear from you. Go on to Twitter. I am at Medical School HQ. Let us know how we did. Let us know what your thoughts are. What are you using for motivation? What is your why? Let us know on Twitter. You can shoot me an email if you have a question. I am Ryan at MedicalSchoolHQ.net. I do want to take a second and thank the five people that left us amazing five-star ratings and reviews in iTunes. Mr. J says, a life changer of a podcast. And I'm actually going to read a little bit of his review because I I think it was one of the best um, reviews that I've read in a long time and it, it really it touched Allison and myself when we read it. Mr. J says, honestly, without this podcast, I would still be stumbling in the dark. Now as I stumble, I have a voice guiding me in the right direction. That's awesome. And that's that's why we do what we do. So thank you, Mr. J, for that review. Sulu Magic says, love your podcast. Sid Sidoskins says, love it. And Tumac Mac, Tumac Mac. I think you guys put in crazy names just so I read them and, and see how I can screw them up. But that's fine. Uh, Tumuk Mac says serendipity, and uh, D. Copen says fantastic resource. So thank you guys for those amazing five-star ratings and reviews. If you haven't left a rating and review yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes, and that will take you into iTunes so that you can easily leave us a rating and review. It only takes a minute of your time, and we greatly appreciate it because in iTunes, that's how we rank higher That's how more students can find us. So thank you again to those five people, and thank you for possibly thinking about maybe going today to leave a review for us. I truly hope you enjoyed this interview and more importantly got uh, some motivation and inspiration out of it. And I hope you join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.